Hi, this is Cook Trigo for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. Thanks for tuning in. Hold on a second. As you can hear, I'm out to doing uh, early morning field work here, and it's uh, up at Heartbreak Meadows. We're on about a half a meter to a meter of snow. It's the middle of April. But uh, uh, I didn't want to do a field notes uh, report this morning but uh, pick up the thread of understanding the shape of change. And I thought it might be nice just to be out and... Uh, there's a flicker. That um, we're checking the solar installation here. Pumping out 42 watts here. Harvesting our photons even though it's 6.30 natural time in the morning. Direct sunlight, but it looks like the mist is going to shut us down. And the snow is not good for shoeing. And that's because you never know what you're going to get in April, so you have to be prepared. It didn't get quite cold enough last night. We're walking by an open seep. So it's where earth water comes out into the meadow and it never freezes, so it'll eventually open up a little um, morass, cut right through the snow. It's very interesting. And But anyway, it didn't freeze. What you want is sugar maple snow, as I like to call it. Warm days, sunny days with uh, cold nights, about minus 10 C. At this altitude, that wouldn't be all that strange this time of year in April, but it didn't get nearly that cold last night. So as you can hear, my shoes, the snowshoes, are sinking through a mushy but still hard crust. And that makes the going a good uh, factor of two or four harder. But it does, uh, again, this isn't a field report. So I wanted to pick up and start afresh with the coming of mountain spring. So this is how I work up here. I'm just walking around, pretty much playing it by ear and uh, looking. And I'll have different cameras with me. And uh, this is in perfect conditions. The light's not too bad. But there's not much wind. And you just uh, see what you see. And so we're walking by a beautiful uh, fiddle top spruce. And underneath the bowl of the tree is, uh, is already melted out. And that's crucial for wildlife wind that happens. Some winters it'll be open all winter. So you'll have, uh, that makes it possible for native invasive species like uh, robins to be up here all winter long now with climate change. Now we're walking past the larch, so we're looking at the buds. They're nowhere near budburst, but you want to keep an eye on it because it can take you by surprise. Around the trunks, the boles of the trees is already open. So again, that's crucial wildlife habitat. And now, this is the pond, the beautiful ponderosa pine. So I'm looking at the uh, last year's cones. That's the uh, beautiful double spiral, Fibonacci spirals that I'm very fond of in music of all things. How would you put those in music? But this is last year's cone. And it's a ripening on the end of the branches. It also has a very deep purple, much like um, white bark pine cones. That deep purple is absorbing uh, the energy of Brother Sun, so they ripen much quicker with that deeper color. So we could be doing a field notes report. Um, but we'll stick with the idea of doing understanding the shape of change.
Now, what's beautiful about being in this ecotone, that's the resonance line of nature and culture, is that the natural line is just there. There's nothing really we can do about it, so adaptation, tuning oneself to the natural circle of here, a magnificent uh, open meadow. Flickers talking back and forth. Well, you just do it naturally. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Um, if it uh, rains, you go and make sure that you stay dry <laughs> and warm. And that's what everything up here does. And uh, walking past the solar installation here again. So now I can see my little base camp here, so they're walking over. And uh, I've noticed um, the past few seasons that talking about music and talking about nature, they're folding into each other, so they're becoming almost exactly the same movement for me personally. And other listeners, friends, and observers are tuning into that as well and saying, well, you know, that uh, 12 primary concepts for understanding the shape of change. So say you had the privilege of being at one of the world's great universities or conservatories, and we're doing postgraduate work in the philosophy of uh, art and music. Not that that would be a good idea, but just say that uh, you were doing that. Well, that is a serious philosophical title. <laughs> Twelve, primary, so that means they're important. And don't forget, uh, we're doing the circle and the square now. So everything we think in terms of nested circles it's very simple, very powerful, and very beautiful. Everything is in terms of nested circles. So 12 primary, those are important concepts. So that's an intellectual philosophical term. We don't use that when we go in to buy our proverbial potato chips at the store concepts. So that's a way of understanding. And then the end is the most important. Understanding. So there are ideas we put underneath our thinking and perception. And here comes the kicker, the shape of change. Now let that sink in, the shape of change. So I'm on the north end of this magnificent meadow. Looking down, it's all, it's all very gently flowing downstream from here. You cannot see open water. It's entirely white. But there are very subtle differences in the texture of the surface of the snow, which is, of course, it's been here all winter. It's highly transforming, transforming right under our feet. So there's nothing for the human being other than perhaps the sea. There's nothing more dynamic than living with snow. That's a robin doing its uh, a riff of its territorial pecking music. So you can hear in this, if you have ears for snow, that'll get us into the shape of change. We could kind of tell that to what kind of snow conditions Cliff has here at 14, 20 meters. Well, they're not very good. 
and they would get worse the the lower you go because with every hundred meters of altitude decrease we have an in increase of temperature and it would get better the higher we go but whether you could get up into high, good snow is very doubtful now how would you know that well it's kind of like how do you know what you're listening to when you listen to music there's an assumption which is I think uh, false that when we listen to music we're hearing the same thing and that can become infinitely interesting and complex in a way because now think for a moment with me that we're not just listening to this ecotone this nature is just here right regardless of how we think about it so it has a very austere, independent truth about it. And I can wish this ponderosa and this large tree away. And I could wish that I often do that. I'll talk to the brother's son up there. Damn it, burn off these clouds. <laughs> I've been up, this is day 17 on a loop, and it's, uh, it's been in storm after storm after storm. And that's with climate crisis, just uh, you have to be prepared now, depending on the time of year, for just about anything. And it certainly isn't the way that it used to be. The rhythm in mountaineering and weather is crucial. And so to know the rhythm of your mountains, where you do most of your climbing and ecological photography work or whatever you're doing up there. And um, the rhythm here has radically changed. It used to be that uh, um, weather would move in 24, 48-hour cycles. And now we're getting into, with the change of the jet stream, into these large meanders that weather systems will just sit here like a stationary wave. And uh, is that now an analogy or an actual fact? The difference as a station, I think that's actually what it's doing. It's still moving, uh, but as a stationary wave that's more or less constant. So getting back to our understanding the shape of change, well, we think we're hearing the same thing, but in actual fact, uh, we're not. Of course, the older the music is, culturally speaking, the more we have shared meaning an agreement about uh, what is important, uh, what is relevant, what is beautiful, what is ugly, and all the rest of it. But once we enter the unknown, by definition, we uh, only have provisional, and here's the key word of what we'll be talking about this morning, map, maps. Well, if you get the posters, highly recommended uh, for understanding the shape of change. I'll put a PDF link with, with this talk. See, there's a flicker in the distance. It's just starting to drum. It's completely different than the um, sap suckers. So uh, that's, a, that's a map, right? Our interface with nature is always going to be conditioned by the map we have. And obviously the maps we're using as a culture on Earth in uh, Western society are very uh, distorted and inadequate uh, because of all the uh, destruction we're causing in the natural world. So music, at the top of that poster, there's a little uh, teaching aphorism, sutra. They're things to be learned by heart. They're very simple and short that have some sort of essential um, meaning. 
that uh, is important to share. It's at the top left. It says, um, let's see, how does it go? We don't hear music. So I'm being rhetorical, right? I'm, I'm trying to put something into sharp clarity. So I'm using the words to stop our thinking. We don't hear music. Obviously, we do hear music, but I'm, I'm, uh, bear with me. We, we don't hear music. We hear our map of music. Now it's starting to make more sense. We don't hear music. We hear our map of music. Here's the snowshoes. So the, the, as the morning progresses, I'll start sinking further and further and further into the snow. So that makes it every step uh, slightly more difficult. So we don't hear music, we hear our map of music. It has many distortions which lead us astray. So it's confusing perception, these maps we have. That's what we're suggesting. And then it ends, new music begins in awareness of the map. Now, these teaching aphorism sutras are all meant in the spirit of questions. So I'm asking, is that true? We're making a pause here. Now, there are well-rotted, but totally straight and erect stems poking out of the snow. Now, if we had a uh, more developed map of snow and montane ecology, that would be extremely meaningful to see these stems poking out of the snow. They happen to be a cluster of corn lilies. That's a native invasive, just like the robins. Veratrum viridis, black, true black. It's the second most poisonous plant in the Pacific Northwest. And of course, we all we're seeing now is I'm not going to put a photograph, but they're, they're rotted to the point of being the stems are now black. So maybe some of that toxin has penetrated into the stems. So I'm looking at them. See, I just broke one off. I'm not going to chew on it, <laughs> but I'm holding it in my hand. You have to be careful. And this is all cellulose, of course. It's left from last year's plants. They're perennials. They have an extremely, they're in the lily family, corn lily. The people here, locals, call them incorrectly skunk cabbage, but it's a good place to start. They're not even distantly related to skunk cabbage. But they're very deadly. They can kill a cow if it were so silly to munch on it. Um, but they're good indicators of snow depths. So you have a good snowpack when you can no longer see last year's corn lilies. So imagine, we all know what a field of corn looks like if they haven't chopped it up for silage, the stems standing upright. So it's about a meter and a half, so then you have a, a good uh, continuous snowpack. And now they're about halfway out, so we've uh, melted about half of the snow. And they're re-emerging. And they're one of the first plants to green up in mountain spring. And of course, that's going to depend on when the snow melts and not just uh, the month or time of year. So if we had a... Um, rich map just like music we're suggesting that in essence there's no difference of uh, montane that's where we're at the middle zone mountain ecology then that would be highly significant 
to see these corn lilies popping out of the snow. And we would be making photographs and uh, notes and the exact time and place. And, and then you begin to compare that year by year by year. Well, how else are we going to get a handle personally and collectively as a culture, as a world culture on climate collapse, crisis, change? If we can't uh, read the snow under our feet. And uh, back to music, uh, that's exactly the same. Well, how would you know <laughs> that uh, uh, because our perception is going to be the formal term conditioned by our map within map within map, again, concentric circles, we're born into a culture that has a certain predisposition. On our map of nature in the West, at the very top, with a capital P, is property. Our relationship of who owns this land. <laughs> well, uh, depending on your point of view, you can see, well, gee, that can be highly distortive. Maybe that's totally not relevant. I mean, these... Uh, all these wonderful conifers. See, there's another flicker drumming. See how it has a very tight drum. About 20 or so drums, iterations per second, if you want to be technical about it. So this map is crucial. And I began... Uh, Began recently doing little nature walks, like uh, if skiers came through or other shoers or whatnot, and were to spend the morning together in conversation and dialogue. One of the things we might do is a nature walk like we're doing right now. You just kind of meander around and you play it by ear. Things present themselves in this meadow will be new each and every moment, each and every day. Like uh, since I started talking 15, 20 minutes ago, there was a little ray of hope in the sun. Yes, we do want to get a little bit of sunlight to warm up. No direct sunlight. You're down to air temperature, so it would be just about zero C right now. And um, so we're hoping for a little bit of sun to dry out, to warm up. But it doesn't look like we're going to get it because this fog is... We're inside a cloud now, and that cloud is starting to sink down. And pretty soon we won't be able to see into the distance. So you can't, if it gets real bad, you can hardly see your feet. But these maps, so the the nature walk, well, most of the mountaineers I meet up here, they uh, are totally unaware of what uh, is happening up here with the natural world. Their map of nature has... Uh, just one word, like green or <laughs> white. And they might know a little bit about snow, although in North America that's pretty rare too. And But to have a uh, rich, descriptive map of snow is the work of many, many uh, hundreds of cultural years that you're born into and you assimilate that map. So snow is not private property. <laughs> snow is a movement and it's infinitely rich. And you can tell many things if you have an ear for it, just in the sound of my shoes, snowshoes. Now would this snow be safe? Yes, there's no avalanche danger right here. And because it's so highly transformed, that means that the the water has penetrated uh, numerous times in the past six weeks from rain on top of snow all the way down to the ground level. So all the crystals have undergone intense transformation on a daily basis. So the main thing you would be looking for now with avalanche danger is temperature. If you get a good freeze, especially 
two or three nights in a row, minus 10 C, and then the higher you go, the colder it's going to get. That'll solidify this uh, entire snowpack. Don't forget, all these crystals are in resonance with each other, forming lattices. And it's a remarkable thing to be standing upon it. It's not private property. <laughs> and you can tell how uh, impoverished many of our cultural maps are because, well, here's the rub that uh, we can't possibly understand snow if we don't think in terms of movement. And the beautiful thing about mountaineering is that uh, we have to attune to that movement. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. You either do that or you won't be doing it very long. And we've lost that in much of Western culture. Why? Because our culture has become so abstracted both abstract and abstracted from the earth and from not just reality, but in a deeper sense, truth. Now that's very destructive and self-destructive. And that's the task of what we're doing right now. What we're doing right now is music, philosophy, poetry, philosophy, dance, philosophy. And like I always say, we're all philosophers. And we want that uh, philosophy to be as alive and as true as possible. So we do that as a daily yoga practice, a daily meditation. And all it really is don't go to a university for this. They'll take it away from you. All that it really is is walking the land and questioning. There's another flicker in the distance. So these maps, can we get beyond the map perhaps? But that's, we're not there yet. That's a part of picture poems and the dialogue circle in the circle in the square. But how does that little sutra go? That little teaching aphorism. And the teacher is the taught. I review these things too. That happens to be 3 times 12. That's 36. That's 1,296. So that's that's uh, for mathematicians, what you're doing is the qualitative resonance of the same. So that's uh, n times to the nth. That's 36 times 36. And uh, that's the qualitative resonance of that little saying. We'll come back to that perhaps. But that's a really key concept. And perhaps discovery of the circle and the square is the profound relevance of uh, what we call relational resonance. So we don't hear music, we hear our map of music. There's a symmetry there, 12 steps. It has many distortions which lead us astray. Another 12. New music, you bash those out, two accents. New music begins in awareness of the map. See, the rhythm is still 12 steps, but the rhythm's totally different. Hmm. And then, you know, in talking hands, talking feet, uh, we learn how to uh, learn those by heart, drumming them as a kind of yoga. It's a serious yoga practice. You know, you do it an hour or two a day. Ah, there's a, there's a chickadee. I can't see him. There are different chickadees up here. They're all mascots. They're listening. They understand all of this stuff much better than I do. Let's see if he comes back. 
So that little saying, now what is that uh, relational resonance about? Well, it's the mystery of time. So now this is more campfire philosophy talk. Space and time. That's why music is so primary in understanding life in the universe. is because in sound, not with eyes, but in sound, something is being revealed to us. See, eyes are so damn spatial. I'm looking out over this meadow, and everything is just here, right? And there are changes, but very, very slowly. And if we go back to our little sutra, we don't hear music. We hear our map of music. You see, we only hear one word at a time. And something mysterious is happening that all those words are folding into a deeper kind of spatial time. It's like, as I often say, you're pushing down the great sustaining pedal of a grand piano. And all the notes are heard one at a time and all at once. How does that... Time folds into space like a thread wound into a skein. I think that's true. And uh, it's one of the mystery of mysteries in music. And when we compose and perform music, well, let's get this clear. In music, listening is primary, right? Regardless of whether or not we're performers or composers or both, uh, everyone is a listener. That's what we're doing right now. Listening never stops. To paraphrase Thoreau, listening never stops. And what we're doing now is listening to listening. So it's a slightly wider circle that's crucially important. Because if we don't do that, our listening is simply based on unawareness, on ignorance. Now, in a limited area, that might not cause problems. But in the present era, it's become explosively destructive. Because our maps are all wrong everywhere, not just in climate crisis. What is the flicker that we just, what is, they know a lot about climate crisis. They are adapting as we speak. There's no postponement. Up here, denial is impossible. You won't last more than 24 hours. So you're constantly tuning up perception with the, not the reality, but the actuality, the truth of what's going on. We don't hear music, we hear our map. Two of them very close together. I call those AK-47s. <laughs> those are Stellar's Jays. They're very powerful and aggressive. And they've learned a kind of natural uh, corruption mimicry. They can imitate uh, raptors, which they are not. They don't have any, <laughs> the power, the size, the claws, the beaks, and the rest. But they imitate, maybe they'll do it for us. Um, to scare songbirds, and they work in twos. Uh, they can be nest robbers. They're out looking for eggs or hatchlings. So that's the beginning of corruption in the natural world. Of course, there are, they won't take more than what they can eat themselves. <laughs> it's not like being a billionaire. Um, <clears throat> the much will have more. There are limits. So we don't hear music. We hear our map of music. It has many distortions. 
which leads us astray. New music begins in awareness of the map. So we're being very careful here, but still very austere, demanding in our philosophy. That just means no BS. So it has to be demonstrated, the truth of what we're talking about, not just talked about, a little think, heaven forbid, just writing about it. Truth has to be demonstrated, and that doesn't mean that we know the truth, we're questioning, is this true? So here we are, skiers are passing through, and we've done our nature walk talking about the climate crisis up here and what's going on. And wonderful things like just the, we could be up here just studying the ecology of Stellar's Jace. You can zoom in, these circles can be, go out to infinity and zoom in on a particular species. So what do we know about a Stellar's? Not very much. Now, what do we know about a new piece of music? Not very much. So, a good assumption, like out here in the wilderness, is that be prepared. That means a light backpack. And it could start snowing any moment now. And so you have to be prepared for that, right? And in the arts, I think we've become lazy. And... Uh, habituated, flabby, unfit. And what we need is something that's uh, lean and very uh, quick on its feet and highly flexible and adaptable. And just assume, assume like in dialogue, I always say it begins with just six simple words. I don't know. Let's find out. That's all we have to do. I don't know. Let's find out. So what is this relational resonance stuff? In order to demonstrate that, <clears throat> I would have to have a uh, grand piano at hand and we're not going to get into doing that up here right now. We'll do it on, you see, there's a different kind of drumming. Now using this descriptive language, I don't know if they picked up on the tape. That's a different species. There's another different species. Are they talking? Perhaps. Most likely not. Now that sound is about uh, 400 meters away. The sound will change with weather, high or low pressure, how much water is in the atmosphere, and how, where, that's a, it's uh, an ugly name, sapsucker. Don't like that name. But they're the only woodpecker-like uh, bird up here, avian species, that has an irregular, it's very distinctive, drumbeat. The world is music, right? So don't try to be too specific with all your guidebooks. We're listening to it as a brother and sister musician. Now all the percussionists I know could imitate that at sight. They would just pick up a, what would you use, temple block, wood block, snare drum, with or without snares, and they would be able to play that rhythm at first hearing. And you might even be able to get up if you were on a log drum within a dialogue. 
but they would sense that map that it's irregular in a, a certain way. It's tapering off the density. It's becoming less. Da, 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 da. It's not the regular pulsing roll of the quicker. So if you were up here for the first visit, first couple years, you would have no idea. <laughs> of that would not be on your map as being relevant. Yeah, that's the AK-47. <laughs> that's a love name, uh, hypocrasticism, that uh, um, it's an incredibly uh, uh, powerful sound of those uh, Stellaris Js. And I don't see them, but they're around here somewhere. They're keeping track of Cliff. <laughs> that... Um, so we don't hear music, we hear our map of music. So that would take years just to get in. So here you have this guy, Cliff, and he's showing you this map. Well, that's a very beautiful thing to share. Just imagine Lewis and Clark out here. Let's see, it wasn't Meriwether Lewis, it was uh, William Clark who was the great uh, map maker. And they're bumping into some Nimipu here, the Nez Perce who were originally here. And of course they had maps. And they knew this vastly better than we do at the uh, present moment with all our sophisticated technology. That Stellar's J is a part of their community, right? Their circle of life not just an abstraction like we're talking now. So there comes William Clark and he rolls out on a parchment or whatever they were using, um, his map of this area. So they're tuning it up and they would say, well, this is the pass, this is the river, primary things like that. Understanding the shape of change, well, there are 12 concepts. There could be more, there could be less. But uh, what's unique about the 12 is not only that it forms a kind of clock that's learnable, right at the top, the north, the zero hour is difference. which is mathematically and philosophically pristine, pure, and beautiful. Why? Because it has no content. It's simply pure relationship. And what we're trying to get a hold of, understand, so that we can move with it, we can dance with it, we can live with it, we can make with it, is difference. There's a little chickadee. See, they're just coming, becoming more active here now. It's a much smaller, it's the size of a thumb. So that Stellar's J would be a good 20 times bigger than a chickadee. So our map of music well, what I've noticed is that um, in looking out over the new musical universe, that's art music, on a worldwide scale, is that once we take movement as primary, then it becomes instantly obvious why we've become habituated to really terrible music and terrible ways of doing music. And we have this thing that philosophically is hard to understand, but only if you first, that you can have extraordinary talent. That means like you pick up the cello and 
masters. It becomes totally second nature. But still, you're an utterly second-hand human being. If all you're playing is the music of the past, that you're not composing for the instrument, but you're just playing the stuff of the past, right? So this extraordinary talent, and the it's like doing the Olympics, right? Without, you know, okay, a skier, <laughs> we're in the snow. You can be a fan, but what are you doing with that? What's its meaning, its significance? So you can have this imbalance between mastering the past, which is always mechanical. It's very difficult. There's no doubt about it. And it's uh, uh, exciting when we and other people can and can master things like that. But the real test is what we make. So I'm suggesting that uh, somehow we've been led astray. Our map of music has led us astray. So we're putting out uh, multiple new maps, which are not necessarily music or poetry or dance specific. They're about movement. So they could be used in science as well. Science suffers from exactly the same problem. It's a problem generally of Western culture. So what would be the primary sin of Western culture? Now we're getting serious. What would be the primary sin? So we're still walking around doing a nature walk with our skiers. And they're venturing up into higher alpine country in very dangerous um, uncharted terrain right now because of the weather, snow conditions. And we're talking about that. What's the primary sin? It's, um, it's hard to, which one came first? The ignorance of thought and consciousness as a movement. It's not on our map in Western culture. We take thought and the nature of thought as a given. And it just works silently in the background. So we're very confused. And how does that manifest? Well, we make no difference between reality on the one hand and truth on the other. That's deadly. So we're saying that uh, reality is merely a projection, a map that you turn around and instead of light reflecting it, you push light through it and you project an image like through a slide. Whereas truth is beyond all maps. So however you describe it, it will always be in some way distorted and inadequate. So it's beyond thought and thinking and consciousness. So that brings them in proper ways. That doesn't mean it's an illusion. It just means that you have to be tuning your thoughts and perception constantly. Well, there's nothing weird about that. That's what snowshoers and skiers do as they move. That's what any cellist is doing as they perform constantly. And my uh, suggestion is, is that we do that outside of time and space. And that's why this relational re uh, resonance thing is so crucially important. Because it's manifesting right before our ears, to use a new expression, perhaps. Something that's very profoundly a part of our universe. The time and space are not the primary truth, the ground of being. That somehow time and space are emerging out of that. So what does that mean to say that there are almost 1,300 relationships when I go very quickly? 
We don't hear music, we hear our map of music. It has many distortions which lead us astray. New music begins an awareness of the map. That's 36 steps. Well, the whole web of relationships that now that we hear that, as we learn it by heart, it becomes a crystal that we hold in our energetic being outside of space and time. And we hear the thing as it were all at once. Let that sink in. You never know where you're going to go on one of these talks. So we better wrap it up with that thought. It's getting mighty cold. So I wanted to talk about this morning the, the somatic constant. That's at uh, 11 o'clock in our shape of change clock. So to go around the clock, remember at the top it's difference and then we get complementarity and then we get qualitative ground. Or the full name is qualitative spatial temporal ground. Absolutely crucially important. It's the first thing I look for in new music. It should bam, it should just be there. And if it's not, something's wrong with it in my book. One note of the great Miles Davis takes you into a space that's outside of space and time. Just one note. Just like that we're listening now to a sapsucker. Just one tap and you're there. That's what we want, I think. So we have difference, complementarity, qualitative ground, and then density, then directionality, constant variable. And then we have smooth, rough. You can tell my walking is, is that smoothest kind of in between. So if it were a rougher sound, we'd have much better snow. Smooth, rough is a complementarity. Simple, complex is a necessary complementarity. And then we have sync, async. All of the little avian friends in this ecotone were walking the boundary between Closed conifer forest in open snowy meadow. Like we could sit down here if we wanted to work pulling this is a, a white fur. And it's quite large. So it has an open, we see all its cones, and it's the snow has thawed. It's marvelous habitat for everything that's coming through here. And um, the completely surrounding, and it's just usually a circular shape, is now open. And is absorbing the rays of Brother Sun, even on a very cloudy, misty day like today. So the rhythm of that coming and going of the snow is crucially important. So sync, async, all our avian friends, they're singing all together. We're way past dawn chorus. Um, and they are synchronized as an order of movement. Look at that, I'll be damned. Look at that. See, you never know what you're going to see. There is our first ground squirrel of the season. Yeah, we're talking to you. <laughs> that happens to me. Now, they have been underground since about the second or third week of October. See, if you don't actually live up here year-round, you would have no idea of their rhythm. There's a, a chickadee talking to us at the, to the left. And now this is the very first, he's just come out. He's been underground. I can't tell if it's a he or she. Been underground for half of the year. And he's just now coming out to kind of imagine that experience. How long would it take for its eyes to adapt? 
It's just come out of its burrow. Dougie has to dig his way out, and he's checking it out. He's totally unconcerned about me because he knows he can disappear in an instant and be underground. But it is a major event here because it means that at your base camp nothing is safe anymore. That they uh, they don't go for food, but they have a predilection, if not addiction, to anything made of hydrocarbons. They'll, they they want to get at that and chew on it. And this time of year they might be using it for nesting material, but they actually chew on it for some reason. And they never touch your food. But they'll chew right through a double-walled tent to get it, for example, a sleeping mat. And just wreck havoc with your gear. I mean, almost everything I have up here has been chewed on somewhere by something. So when they come back, that uh, that means you just adapt, right? You have to be much more careful with the stuff you zip things up, lock them up, keep them out of reach, harm's way. And they look just like the eastern squirrels, except they have a bobtail. And they, they can climb trees, but only kind of. And they'll go up maybe a meter or two and then kind of fall off. They They can't use their tails for balancing and climbing. Now we're talking to you. He's now disappeared. Let's see, where did he come out? Well, so that's on our map of what's going on at Heartbreak Meadow. We've just made that, and we'll note that in our journal, the 16th of April this year, they first emerge. And don't forget they have brothers and sisters up a vertical kilometer higher than here. Now this guy has been underground for six months. Just imagine that. That's rhythm. In Western culture, the metaphysics of Western culture, time is money. So what have you been doing down there? Just laying around, doing nothing. Worthless. <laughs> Unemployed. I always think it would be good to estivate or hibernate like that when you run out of money. Just go to sleep and wake up for more auspicious times. So that's wonderful that they have returned. So now instantly I'm concerned about <laughs> base camp. <laughs> to uh, make sure things are buttoned down. so Because once he's one is out, before you know it, there'll be a whole community. Right in this area around base camp, there are different colonies. And you know, you could be up here studying the whole thing, know each critter individually. I don't do that. I do talk to them. Um, and they have an intricate social web that we know nothing about. And I just observe it out of the corner of my eye. I don't. Uh, but you could be refining your map. As I hope we're going to do in the arts. Because it sure does need it. We don't hear music. We hear our map of music. It has many distortions. Which lead us astray. New music begins an awareness of the map. So we were talking about sync, async. That you can have an order of movement where all the meters, all the movements have complete autonomy. And then once you have that, you just the thought of how rich that is, that autonomy modulating into a simple metrical synchronized order and back and forth. Well, that would lead us to a totally different way of experiencing music that is far richer than what we have at the present moment and is much, much more in tune with where we're at right here, the natural world. Just like sounds moving around in space, 
It's everywhere. This is a, it's much more than just a three-dimensional world. So to finish our clock, discrete, continuous, holigarchy, that just means it's not a hierarchy. It's the order of the whole, top down, bottom up. We'll talk about that on a different occasion. And then the one I was hoping to get to is somatic constant. And that's just, everything up here is totally embodied. That means there's no division between spirit and body, mind, intelligence. Everything has a form of intelligence up here. Everything. We might not recognize it, but that's our view. And this divisive nature, which is the key feature of Western culture, the thought divides itself from the world. And it's one thing to do that, but thought divides itself from the world in a destructive way. And everything that we think, say, and do and what we're doing in picture, poems, theater, the new, the circle and the square, is questioning that without trying to change it, but questioning why, how that happens. And in the questioning, something new comes into being. So the semantic constant, and this will be it for today, the semantic constant has been broken apart, is that um, what I call the abstraction concrete cycle, which is a necessary unity going from the sound into talking about that sound of those steps has been broken apart in Western culture. And in the performing arts, that's deadly. So everything, if just take the idea of fragmentation and start to look at what you're doing as a performer, a musician, composer, a dancer, a poet, and you'll notice this very revealing that everything has been broken apart. And it's one of the reasons that we don't understand what we have done to Mother Nature. That really the essence of our relationship with the Earth is that we are at war with the Earth in everything we do. And it would be ridiculous to assume that we as artists are any different we're at war with sound. And the somatic constant, all that's about is the relationship between mind-body unity, that we're at war with our own physical instrument. And because of that disharmony, we're at war with our own consciousness, the intelligence that embodies, incarnates in that body. Well, what could be uglier than that? And in the performing arts, baby, watch out. In music, that's all pervasive. I'm talking about new art music. We're just tying, in terms of yoga, Alexander technique, talking hands, talking feet, we're constantly tying ourselves up in knots instead of what should be healing and liberating, we're strengthening the walls of the prison. So once we have a map that calls attention to that, day in, day out, then we begin to heal. It might take generations, we don't know.
It's not a relevant question. Well, next time we'll have to get back to the semantic constant and pick up with a different recording style. But it's nice to be out walking around, listening to things. And uh, go back and listen to the top of this tape. We've been talking for an hour. The sound of the snow is modulated. It's become mushier and mushier. It's uh, So we'll talk more about the somatic constant in relational resonance. We don't hear a map of music. We don't hear music directly. We hear a map of music. It has many distortions which lead us astray. So hopefully we're calling attention to some of those distortions. And that's the beginning of something new. Okay, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. Ciao for now.